What's up, everyone? Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Copan. It's November 21, 2022, and this is Lift and Learn episode 104. In this episode, I'll talk about if you should eat before you work out in the early morning. I have a bit of personal experience with this since I actually prefer working out in the mornings. So if you're planning on doing something like that, I can talk about the best ways to go about it in terms of if you should eat before your early morning workouts. And in the second topic, I'll talk about if training in a partial range of motion has any benefits at all. Can you actually make gains from shortening the range of motion of your lifts and exercises? I'll tell you all about it. And there actually are some studies that have been done lately on this exact topic. Before that, though, I'll talk a bit about what I've been up to lately. And that might include fitness related topics and it might not. If you want to follow me, your host on Instagram. It's Isaiah.Copon, and you can also check out my website, IsaiahCopon.com. The podcast is on Instagram, at Lift and Learn Podcast, on Twitter, at Lift and Learn Pod, and also on Facebook. You can just search Lift and Learn Podcast. With that being said, let's get into it. If your goal is to live your healthiest life to be the best you, you may actually need to eat more instead of focusing on eating less all the time. This is a hard one to take in, so let me dive into this a bit. As a personal trainer, I hear this all the time. When people find out I'm a personal trainer, they usually tell me that their own, uh, they usually tell me about their own battles when trying to lose weight. They usually say that they, um, they're focusing on eating less meals throughout the day or cutting out a certain food group or cutting out carbs or trying out intermittent fasting to lose some weight, maybe even skipping meals. These are common ways that people believe will help them lose weight. And these methods, they might work temporarily, but then when we introduce those foods or their, those uh, meals back into their lives, we're back to square one. You gain the weight back. And then people will tell me that they've done so-and-so diet before and it didn't work for them, or it did work, but only for a short while. That's because doing these methods could work for some people in the short term, but for most people, it's just not going to work. Yet, they still try to do it over and over again. Let's say, oh, I have a vacation to go to. I'll just starve myself for a week and I'll be so happy with my body when I'm on the beach. I mean, you might be happy for the first day or two, but you know that you're going to put that weight back on and then some after you hit the buffet for the first day or two. Those extreme ways to lose weight, they're obviously not the smartest option anyway in terms of your actual health and wellness. So what's the real way to long-term sustainable fat loss? Well, focusing on this diet aspect here, a good place to start, something I've learned over the years, is to actually eat more than you currently are. I don't mean stuffing your face with more highly processed foods or getting more Uber Eats deliveries to your place or more snacks. I'm talking about eating foods that will actually benefit you. So I'm talking about more vegetables and greens specifically and more protein helps with long-term fat loss and muscle gain also. Even for me, this is a problem, getting in my own share of vegetables every day. Now though, when I walk into the supermarket or the grocery store, I remind myself that I can't leave the fruit and vegetable aisle, the produce area. I can't leave that area to explore the rest of the store until I get at least three different vegetables. 
The fruits aren't a problem for me. I've identified that at this point, but it's the vegetables that I tend to lack, like most others. This is a fact. 95% of men and almost 90% of women don't eat enough vegetables in their diet. That's really an eye-opener when I saw that stat. In my experience, that seems to be pretty accurate. I can probably only count on one hand the clients that I've had over the years who were eating enough vegetables. And that's not really our fault, because they make foods just so good nowadays, and since we love pleasure so much as humans, we have a tendency to just eat foods that taste good or taste the best. Food is just so accessible and engineered for us to overeat, and we forget about the basics. Even me, as a fitness professional, I've been a trainer for nearly 8 years now, running my own business. This is still a problem for me, but I've gotten better over time. Adding in vegetables and other less processed foods, that's something you'll very likely need to include more of in your diet. If you eat more vegetables, that leaves less room for the other junk and garbage in your diet. Eat the vegetables and the protein first. These are both areas the general public seems to just not eat enough of. If you eat those first, that will ultimately lead you uh, lead to you eating less calories. So you may be eating more food, but actually eating less calories at the end of the day. All while giving your body the nutrients that it actually needs. So we're talking about essential vitamins and minerals, micronutrients that your body needs to function at its highest ability every single day. For you to feel better every day, you eat those greens and proteins first. You might not have room for all the carbs on your plate, which works out in your favor. How does that work? Okay, so a whole bag of spinach that's like 20 to 50 calories or something like that. Cook that up in olive oil, for example, that whittles down to basically nothing. But you're filling up your stomach with vitamins and nutrients, super low calories, but you're getting an abundance of micronutrients and fiber in there. This also might mean eating a real orange instead of just orange juice. The juices that they manufacture just strips away the fiber and it's obviously just so much easier to drink 300 or 500 calories of a fruit drink. That also includes, I don't know how much extra sugar as opposed to eating the actual fruit. These are the small changes that you can make to kind of trick your body to actually consume less calories. Eating more vegetables along with eating a bit more protein, when we're talking the satiety aspect of these foods, that means you feel fuller than you normally would as opposed to eating those highly processed foods. I mean, I could eat chips all day, but how many baked potatoes could I eat in a single sitting? Probably not even one. But if you were to sit down with a bag of chips, you could probably eat the whole thing if you really felt like, right? That's what I'm talking about when I say that they engineer these foods for us to eat more, which means we spend more money making those companies more money. So if you're really looking to lose weight long term, eat foods that are more beneficial for you and also your gut microbiome that's going to lead to a healthier you and ultimately you'll just lose weight without even really needing to focus on weight loss in general. It's a natural way to eat less calories if you switch over to eating more whole foods, less processed options. Again, vegetables are something us humans really lack with our modern diet. Nearly 90, uh, 95% of us, that means only 1 in 20 of us, that's insane, only 1 in 20 are getting enough of it. So chances are you're in that large percentage so try to make a conscious effort to add more of these nutritious foods into your life and you'll reap the benefits of looking and feeling better every day moving on from that it's now getting towards the end of november here 
Damn, we had some unexpected snow over the past week. Luckily, I played golf last week, because that's definitely the last of it for this year, and I just happened to play the best round of my life that day, even if it was only a 12-hole course. But yeah, there was a snow one morning I wasn't really expecting. There was like, I woke up with snow all over the car, and I had to move my mom's car out of the way first, so I had to brush off the snow off of her car before doing mine, so I ended up leaving the house a little bit later than I expected. Plus, I didn't have my tires changed at the time, so I had to drive real slow that morning since there was snow and ice on the road, and I was still on my summer tires. Luckily, everything worked out, and I managed to get to work, and on the way back home, the snow on the roads had melted already, so it was a smoother drive. Last winter wasn't bad, but we did have this one snowstorm or snow day last year. I literally couldn't get my car out of the driveway that day. Mind you, I have a rear-wheel drive two-seater coupe, so it's fun to drive in the winter, but that was just too much snow for it to handle. I just remember spending most of my day shoveling myself out of trouble along with some of my neighbors, but at least I didn't have to work that day. Something I don't really talk about a lot on here is music. But of course I'm super into music since I feel like it just comes hand in hand with gym culture and working out. I'm that guy in there with the over-ear headphones blasting my music, but you never know what I'm actually listening to. Usually if it's a day where I need like max strength, I'll listen to some hardcore rock sometimes like Disturbed. I was listening to that album earlier this year, even though it's an old one, but mainly I'll listen to some hip-hop usually older stuff, maybe rap or older artists. I just can't listen to the new stuff, even though that might make uh, that might make me sound old. But lately, I'm really enjoying the latest Drake or 21 Savage joint album, especially with all the memes with that first song. Do your thing, 21, do your thing, ayy. But yeah, if it's a day where I'm more focused on hypertrophy, so lighter weights, higher reps, I'm usually listening to R&B or something like... I don't know, even Ariana Grande or that new Taylor Swift album, which is actually fire. Don't even hate. It's so funny sometimes when people see me jamming out, bobbing my head in the gym, and they're like, oh, what are you listening to? And then I hit them with, oh yeah, you know, just a little Taylor Swift, and their their faces are just priceless, asking me like, how could you even work out with that kind of music? I don't know, man. I just do. So yeah, anyways, it's super cold out now. Like I said, the golf season's over, softball and basketball outdoors, definitely not going to happen. Can't even go for my daily walks anymore, so I'm slowly starting to ramp up my traditional cardio on the treadmill or on the Stairmaster. Man, it's just a love-hate relationship with the Stairmaster, but during the winter months, I'm probably going to have to spend a bunch of time on those machines because my step count... If I'm not paying attention to it, could be super low on some days, so I gotta get it in. Also, one last thing before I start talking about the fitness topics for today. I got this book from one of my best friends last week. I've been reading a chapter every day. It's called Breath by John Nestor. I've read a few chapters now. It's basically about breathing through your nose and those benefits. So it goes into the history and how it's a lost form of breathing since nowadays most of us have a tendency to breathe in air through our mouths which could be causing or exacerbating certain health problems. I think some of the information is a little exaggerated but it is definitely still a good reminder that we should be inhaling the air in through our noise, uh, noses 
Since I do notice that at times I do breathe in air through my mouth, so I've been constantly trying to remind myself to breathe in air through my nose now. So we'll see how that progresses into how I'm feeling day by day. I think it does make a bit of a difference. This book even talks about performance benefits that stem from breathing in through the nose as opposed to breathing in through the mouth. So it is pretty interesting. I've always told others, or my clients specifically, to breathe in through the nose, but I think everyone in general should make more of a conscious effort to do so. I mean, it's something super simple that anyone can do, so I think that's just something I wanted to mention for the week. Try it out, and you may notice a positive benefit in your life. It's definitely something simple that yields a neutral to positive benefit. Question 1. Should you eat before you work out in the early morning? I'd like to come on here and say that I know exactly what you should do in a situation like this, but really nobody will really know. You'll never really get a straight answer here because the answer is just so individualized. There isn't just a clear-cut guide to what you should eat in the morning, before a workout, or if you should even eat at all. It depends on a lot of factors here, like how early you're talking about working out, so Really, the simplest answer here is that it depends, honestly. Personally, I have a lot of experience with this, and I still don't know what the right answer is for someone else without knowing more information. An approach to figure it out for yourself, though, is to just try different things and actually log or write down exactly how you felt eating, whatever you ate, whenever you ate it, or if you didn't eat, how'd that make you feel, and how did the workout go? You gotta reflect on your training. So, meal timing and... What you're eating is going to be super important information to know what works for you personally. You can even try working out fasted, so not eating anything beforehand, especially if you're someone who's working out before 6am. My advice though, I think you should eat a little bit of something. That's what I've found works best for me and most others I've helped when it came to working out in the mornings. But there's also times where I've had to tell clients to train fasted just because they were telling me they had digestion problems or cramps while working out with any amount of food so close to the workout. My advice though, I think you should eat a little bit of something. That's what I found works best for me and most others I've helped when it came to working out in the mornings. But there's also times where I've had to tell clients to train fasted just because they were telling me they had digestion problems or cramps while working out with any amount of food so close to the workout. There just wasn't enough time to uh, digest a pre-workout meal unless they really wanted to wake up even earlier, which wasn't an option sometimes. So working out fasted, I found that it works with a smaller population than eating a little bit of something. It's rarer though that a uh, fasted workout is better. At least for me and most of my clients, some amount of carbs, I feel a lot better in the gym. It definitely affects my performance, but everyone is different. I've tried working out fasted, and sometimes my workouts go well if I had a big dinner the night before, and maybe I wake up at 4am to work out at 5am, then that could be a strategy I use, but more often than not, I'll at least have some quick sugars, so I'll have some berries or a banana in the morning with a tiny bit of milk or a kefir or an egg or two, something with a little bit of protein. For me, what I've noticed is that I feel a lot better when I have some carbs in my body, Remember that carbs are your main source of energy, so it's normal to feel sluggish if you're doing a fasted workout because you're just relying on your body's energy storage to fuel the workout. When I work out in the mornings, I also try to have an electrolyte drink handy, so something with carbs in it. 
I'm a big fan of Gatorade, even though I'm not sponsored yet. <laughs> the blue flavor is the best, but red is a close second. I feel like having that during my workouts, that helps keep my energy levels at an adequate level, and that's regardless if I work out in the mornings or not. Ideally speaking, you'd want some protein and some carbs before a workout, because that helps with performance, but in the morning, you may not have time to digest that. You may get cramps, like I've seen with some people. That's something you may notice. So the bottom line here is that no one really knows the real answer to this. You're just going to have to experiment for yourself and see how it goes. That's really the best advice I can give you for a question like this with the little information that I know. Just figure it out. Try different things. See what works best for you because you're a unique person and the way your body works is going to be completely different from someone else. Question two. Are there any benefits to training with a partial range of motion? So when we're talking about partial range of motion, I'm talking about doing partial range of motion, uh, range of motion exercises intentionally, not those people who you may see in the gym day in and day out half repping everything. Chances are they probably haven't made as much progress as they'd like and they need to do some reflecting on their training. So when we're talking about partial range of motion, I'm talking movements like a board press for bench press. Sometimes you'll see those power lifters have their spotter put a thick block on their chest so that it shortens the bench range of motion by a few inches. This is supposed to help you with the lockout part of the exercise. You may also see people doing rack pulls. I remember doing those a few years ago before I actually started deadlifting. The rack pulls are supposed to also help you with the lockout portion of the deadlift since it is just the top part of the deadlift, basically. When you're doing movements like this, you should be able to lift slightly heavier weights and get acclimated to them that way. So there aren't too many studies on this, I believe, but there does see, uh, seem to be some evidence that it does help in terms of gaining strength, which could ultimately lead to some muscle gains also. I believe that it does help in my own experience with movements like this, but you have to remember that you should be an experienced lifter before altering your exercises and doing these kind of advanced methods. Usually doing these movements means that you're using slightly heavier weight than you're used to, like maybe more like um, 105% or more of your 1RM in some cases. Obviously, you shouldn't do that if you're just starting out, and if you're a trainer, I don't think you should have your clients train this way. Unless, like I said, they're advanced. Here's the thing though, there are some studies that show that it can help when it comes to increasing strength. But also keep in mind that training with a partial range of motion all the time is not going to be beneficial if you compare partial reps uh, compared to when you're doing a full range of motion. If you just compare them head to head, I don't think it's up for debate that full range of motion exercises will be better for you in terms of hypertrophy and strength, but... What I've read and heard from others is that supplementing or combining partial range of motion with full range of motion training could lead to more gains if you program it properly. That being said, you may see pro bodybuilders do partial range of motion all the time. Something to keep in mind there is that they're likely enhanced on gear and they're training a different way. Something you might not be able to see, they're super focused on mind to muscle connection and not taking any tension off of the muscle. Again, also, they're advanced. That's not how someone new to working out should train. I don't think we know the exact reason why partial range of motion has been shown to work in some cases, so I'm not exactly sure why, but it could have something to do with neural adaptations, basically just you getting used to feeling heavy weight in your hands or on your back, even if it is just a shortened range of motion. 
I do still believe that full range of motion training for most people most of the time is better than always doing partial range of motion. Advanced clients can start to experiment with this. That's something I like to do when I hit a bit of a plateau or if I just want to have a little bit of fun with training. Personally, I love lifting heavy weights that challenge me. I think it just hypes me up, gets my adrenaline going. But again, this is, uh, this is an advanced training technique. Training in this way, it really does depend on the situation and the person we're dealing with. For some people, it may work to build up your strength, which could lead to more muscle, but for others, it may be too much for their joints to handle. So just like the last topic, you know, try it out, try different exercises and see if they work for you. But if you are doing something like block pulls or block presses, you should be advanced and you should have a spotter also because you're going to be moving weight that you're not usually not accustomed to with your normal training. The number way to long-term gains is to avoid injury, so train smart and be safe, while also balancing the training hard part of exercise. And that concludes episode 104 of the podcast. Thank you for listening. If you really enjoyed the episode or my podcast as a whole, then please leave a review and comment on iTunes or whatever your choice of podcast platform is. Also, if you haven't already, you should hit that subscribe button because I'll be releasing episodes every Friday. If you want to follow me, your host, I'm Isaiah.Copon on Instagram. And you can also check out my website, IsaiahCopon.com. If you want to follow the podcast, you can check out at Lift and Learn Podcast on Instagram. And there's also a Facebook page if you just search Lift and Learn Podcast.